Hi, it's John again, and welcome to Romans part 19, and we're on chapter 12 this time. We arrived, you'll remember, at the end of chapter 8 with that triumphant cry of praise to God in Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love. Uh, the chapter begins, you'll remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and know they're in Christ Jesus because the Holy Spirit is active in their hearts and in their lives. But then we went on a three-chapter detour, wrestling with those who apparently have actually been separated from God, the Jewish nation who uh, Paul had such heartache for in their rejection of Jesus as their Messiah. And in trying to come to terms and explain what that is all about, Paul says that it's because both of divine sovereignty, chapter 9, but also human responsibility, chapter 10, and those two working together in ways which we can't begin to understand. But then he ends in chapter 11 with a, a prophetic revelation. When Jesus returns, the Jews will suddenly recognize him as their Messiah in an instant, just as Paul himself did when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. But now Paul moves on, and again, chapter 12 starts with that uh, dramatic word that we found at the beginning of chapter 8 as well therefore in the light of all that I've explained to you and told you this and so he's going to move on now for the rest of the letter to talk about not how we get reconciled to God but how we live when we are reconciled to God so a move, if you like, from uh, evangelism to discipleship. The first half of the book about coming to Christ, the rest about living in Christ. So in chapter 13, he's going to talk about our relationship to secular authorities. 14, our relationship to others in the church community. And then in chapter 15 and 16, it gets a bit more personal Paul's own plans for the future and we already looked at that in uh, back in week one if you can remember that far back and then in 16 signing off with some personal greetings that will uh, nevertheless I think give us some interesting insights into the nature of the Roman church so the end is in sight but before all that chapter 12 is about our relationship with ourselves, how we grow as disciples, and in particular, how we minister out of that discipleship within the mission of the church, the church that Paul uh, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 12 calls the body of Christ. And I'm going to read and explain this chapter in a particular way, and it may be one that you've not come across before, 
but I think it makes loads of sense and I've found it very, very enabling and encouraging as I've taught it to people over the years since I first learnt to read the chapter in this way. It's not my own interpretation. There are some books and stuff on this subject, but you're going to get my take on it for the purposes of this podcast. So let me begin by wondering if church has ever made you feel ashamed. I don't mean has church made you feel guilty about particular sins. That's one of the jobs of the church to help us to become more sensitised to sin so that we can deal with it more quickly and receive the free forgiveness that Paul has told us we have in Christ. I'm talking about ashamed. Guilt is about what we have done, but shame is about who we are. And I've spent a lot of my life, uh, probably because of the sort of churches that I've been in for most of my life, feeling guilty because I'm not an evangelist. And I've spent a lot of time in the kinds of churches and under the kinds of clergy that have valued evangelism above all else. And we've all been forced to do it. I can remember being um, sent out. No choice, no option. We were all sent out to go out door knocking, cold calling, uh, etc. That didn't go well, I can tell you. rarely it does in my experience but there's still a bit of me that feels I'm not a real Christian I'm not a really good Christian because I'm not very effective as an evangelist it might be something else for you but if so then I hope that what we're going to talk about in Romans 12 will help to set you free The chapter begins with those well-known words which have found their way into the Anglican liturgy about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. And that is an important place to start, uh, particularly in the light of that therefore, which uh, links us back to uh, what Paul has said about what Jesus has done for us. And he's used, as you'll remember, loads of pictures He's given his life, he's bought us with his blood, he's redeemed us from slavery. We literally owe him everything. We work for him now, we're his slaves. And uh, there are all sorts of distortions of the gospel around, which I'm doing some work on at the moment. But in in particular, the, the kind of therapeutic gospel, which says I come to Christ so that my life will get better uh, and I'll be a nicer person and I'll have a better self-image and all my prayers will be answered as I want them to be. That that kind of therapeutic gospel. And Paul subverts that and says you've been redeemed from slavery, but you've been redeemed into slavery. And our discipleship and our growth in it is about becoming more like our master 
and knowing his ways so that we can please him more like a a slave discovering how his new master likes things done and paul says in the past your minds were shaped by this world you you did things how this world told you that they ought to be done but now that's got to change and you are informed by jesus instead that's how we get to discover his will and that is the essence of discipleship you've probably heard that famous jb phillips translation don't let this world squeeze you into its mold or something like that Uh, and the message is even more dramatic don't let this world drag you down to its level and so the place we begin with that is yes about discovering who jesus is but also about who we are And verses 6 to 8 of chapter 12 are one of the three gift lists in the New Testament. The others are in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. And you'll probably be familiar with those. You can pause me and look them up if you're not. Um, This is not an unfamiliar idea. And Paul spells it out in most detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 especially as we said in the context of the body of Christ just as a human body has different bits which do different jobs and are designed to do different jobs so the church is the same and the area of discipleship called gift discovery is about who am I, what am I meant to be doing? And it's a big industry in some churches. There are all sorts of courses and resources and what have you uh, to help you with that. Maybe you've even done some of those. Now, a landmark book published back in 1979 originally, which which kind of led into this whole gift discovery industry, was a book by an American guy called Peter Wagner, and it goes under the snappy title of Your Spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow. And that was a really famous and influential book, and I have the greatest respect for Peter Wagner and for his work but I believe that book got it totally wrong. So Peter's methodology was to add together those three different lists in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 then to add a few more which he doesn't find in the bible but believes that he does in real life he's seen them in the life of the church so let's bring them in as well and he ends up with a list of i think it's 37 different spiritual gifts by uh, compiling that long list from the different biblical lists now he says okay let's have a look at these which one have you got and it's that approach i believe that is a mistaken one and i believe that because i believe exegetically when you actually look at the text those three lists 
are different lists of different things. You just can't add them all together. Now, I like to illustrate this with a friend of mine from my very first parish back in the early 80s. His name was Eddie. We're still friends on Facebook. I'm sure he'd be thrilled that I'm still talking to you about him. And there are there are three things that you need to know about Eddie. He was a plumber. He had a plumbing bag. And he went around plumbing. Now, they're all important things for you to know about my friend Eddie. First of all, you need to know that he's got a plumbing bag. He's got a toolkit of the different things that he uses. Uh, wrenches, blow lamp, pipe cutter, hammer, uh, mostly hammer, I, I seem to remember. And it's good to know if, if you've suddenly sprung a leak, well not you, you'd need a surgeon, but if something in your house has sprung a leak, it's good to know that Eddie has got those tools. The second thing you need to know about Eddie is his job. He is a plumber. He's got training. He's got experience. He knows the plumbing world. He knows what he's doing. And you can trust him to plumb well. But there is a third thing to know about Eddie. And this is arguably, arguably the most important thing. He's Eddie. He's a nice guy. He'll charge you a fair price. He's not a cowboy. He's not a villain. He's got a lovely family. He's got a great wife who cooks amazing curries from time to time. And those three things about Eddie are different things. The tools he uses, the job he does, but who he is as a person. And I believe that the three Lists of gifts in the New Testament are like that, not just one long list of the same things which somehow has got split into three. 1 Corinthians 12 is the Christian toolkit list. These are things we use to do particular jobs, so words of knowledge to bring uh, God's information that we wouldn't otherwise know into a situation. Prophecy to allow God to speak through our, to others through us. Healing, miracles, etc. as God works in the life and circumstances of others. Tongues to get our prayers and our, our praises through. We don't have these gifts. We use them. When a situation arises, we put our hand in our toolkit and... Uh, we pull out the thing that we need. They're certainly not about our jobs. They're certainly not about who we are as people. Ephesians 4, the second list, is a list, I believe, of the jobs that people do. Leaders in church do different things. Apostles start new works, oversee the big picture. Prophets speak God's direction into the church. Evangelists help people to find faith. Pastors care for people when they're down and hurting. Teachers help them to grow up in their faith. And when leaders are doing those jobs, they will use 
the tools that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12 to help them to do it. But the real thing, the deepest thing, is who we are. And this list, I believe, is the one that's given to us in Romans chapter 12. It's about who we are at a deep level, what drives us, what what gets us out of bed in the morning, and what makes us do what we do. And these are called motivational gifts. It's about how God has wired us up. And it's my conviction that, as with other sorts of personality testing, and that we have always been that person, we probably always will be. Whether or not we meet Christ and whether or not, or not Christ influences who we are, we, we don't tend to change fundamentally. And so in verses 6 to 8, Paul lists seven motivational gifts. That, that's uh, my word, not his Prophetic giftings, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership and pastoral giftings. And motivational gifts theory says this, that fundamentally at a deep level you are driven by which of these giftings is most dominant in you. It needn't be just one, but you will probably have a a dominant one. And uh, you can do questionnaires to find out where you are. I'm going to suggest one or two uh, later that you can find online. So it's not what about what about what tools you use. It's not even about what job you're doing in the church. It's about who you are, who God made you to be and why you do what you do so uh, a very quick summary and there's lots more literature on this but the, the prophetic person loves truth won't compromise is not afraid to speak out speaking truth to power as the uh, phrase goes serving gifting is about rolling up your sleeves doing the practical jobs in the background doing them proudly and well because you believe you're doing them for Christ teaching gift is about the desire to know more and help others to know more and to grow into maturity in Christ the encouraging gift is about getting the best out of people, building them up, very kind of positive and enthusiastic person. The giving gift is about generosity, whether that's money or time or hospitality or whatever. Leadership gift is about steering and coordinating the efforts of others. The the Greek word uh, kubernate is the Um, guy who stands at the back of the ship holding the rudder while everyone else um, in the galleys rows away and uh, the leadership role is is helping everyone's effort to pull in the same direction and pastoral gifting getting alongside the hurting and the broken 
And so having identified these motivational giftings, Paul gives for each of them both exhortations and warnings because um, as you will probably be aware every gifting has its shadow side its dark side if if we're not careful and if it's not handled with maturity and you can follow through the next few verses in the same order as he lists the gifts so for example prophetic people hate evil don't compromise verse 9 but verse 17 beware don't get vindictive against people and uh, i'll leave you to read verses 9 to 21 in the light of that gift listing and you'll see um, how they both encourage people to grow in their gifting but also to beware of that that shadow side of it but the greatest point of this i think is that it's not so much about what we do but it's about how we do it and to come back to my shame about evangelism i came to realize that once you see that through the eyes of motivational gifting actually lots of different people do do evangelism but they do it differently they do it driven by their motivation so prophetic evangelism that would be billy graham standing up and just proclaiming you need to repent of your sins the bible says uh, no uh, compromise or anything there very clear and demanding message serving evangelism on the other hand will be people who are behind the scenes at alpha or um, making the food bank happen or, or something like that we don't tend to see the people who wash up after alpha courses as doing evangelism but they are involved in the evangelistic enterprise but they're doing it out of their motivation to serve others and not to be big up front teaching evangelism would be through running alpha doing the talks doing apologetics running small groups um, that's what i discovered i can do so maybe i am an evangelist after all giving motivation would do evangelism by paying for it you know someone's got to pay for the free burgers you're giving out at, at your evangelistic barbecue uh, whatever it may be pastoral evangelism will be uh, evangelizing one person at a time probably with an arm around their shoulder offering to pray for them um, as they're hurting giving your testimony to them one at a time and leadership of course motivating and coordinating the church with an evangelistic strategy can you see how that works so often we we have one model of evangelism when i talk to people about evangelism the most common thing i hear is but i'm not billy graham 
But this model says you can be involved in evangelism, but you can do it your way. You can do it according to your own motivational gift. That's why it's so important that we discover who we are and feel free and happy to uh, do what we do for God out of that motivation. So if, if you found that in any way convincing and you've not come across this before... Um, I encourage you to Google motivational gifts. I've put a couple of links below. That gift test one uh, is a good one and will give you a questionnaire to help you identify who you are. And uh, that'll give you, I hope, some insight into who you are and why you do what you do, the way you do, and how you can do it in a in a happier and more fulfilled way and I hope that you found this chapter as liberating as I did when I discovered it so there we are next week for something completely different politics see you then <laughs>